Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him.
Lord, this, this song really that sums it up. I mean, uh, faith is the assurance of things not seen, the things hoped for. Uh, without faith, we, we can't please you. We must believe that you are and a reward of those who seek you. So this is how we live. We live by faith. And we stand as children of the promise. And we will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward, till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. So that's our theme, Lord, as we, as we look at James chapter 2. Very, very important, and I just pray that you'd help us understand this. And, and may we truly walk by faith. Yeah, strengthen our faith. Help us use our faith for, our for your glory and for your honor and for our own good. So just help us this morning as we truly worship you, the author and perfecter in you who, whom, who, who in we have our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't you uh, jump up and down or something, get warm, or maybe not. No jumping jacks, that's, uh, I'm done with jumping jacks, but anyway, you may be seated when you're done. So, regardless of the temperature, regardless of uh, whatever's happening, we're here to worship our God, and uh, here's, uh, here's a classic hymn.
grace indeed is ours. When we think about how great you are, really, you know, when we think of creation, obviously, we think of the, yes, we think of the birds, and we think of the sky, we think of thunder and lightning, we think of rain, we think of clear blue skies, we think of the sun warming, we think of all of that. But certainly the great miracle was that your son came to die for us. And he bore our sin. What grace is ours? That he who dwells in endless light called through the night to find my distant soul. And from his scars poured mercy that would plead for me that I might live and in his name be known. So I will go wherever he is calling me, and I will lose my life to find my life in him. I give my all to gain the hope that never dies. I bow my heart, take up my cross, and follow him. It's what grace is mine to know the breath, his breath alive in me. Beneath his wings my weary soul may soar. All fear can flee, for death's dark night is overcome. My Savior lives and reigns forevermore. Father, this is our faith. This is, as it were, our religion. And this is what saves, and this is what helps. So for all of those that are dear to us, that need help, we ask you, the God of the universe, to help them. And help us to be faithful and maintain our faith. And there really is nothing new. It's the same old religion from Genesis to Revelation. It's the same thing. We don't need to improve upon it. We can't take away from it. We just need to walk by faith in it. And especially, Lord, as we come to James 2 this morning, and we see this tremendous passage of scripture. I pray that uh, you will help us see just how important this is. For your sake and for your glory and for our own good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So. Nippy, man, it's still cold up here. So why don't we stand? Here, here's an old one that uh, I think will make a point.
Lord, we're going to see nothing new. I mean, we just need to follow what you have given us. And that is just a theme throughout Scripture. I mean, in reading, I'm rereading Deuteronomy, and there it is again. Just chapter 4, do not add and do not take away. Just follow what I told you to do. It, it, it can't be any clearer, and today we're going to see that. So we pray that our religion is the true religion. We pray to that in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles. Let's go to James chapter 2. James, now it's not have anything. Uh, oh, I guess I guess I got it. Man, you would think after all this time I would know how to do this. No. <laughs> James chapter 2. Think I, So we're going to start by having you think about your religion. All right? Everybody has a religion. And by religion, I mean, what do you believe in? Where is your hope? What, where do you go for your resources? That's your religion. What, what do you spend your time with? Where is your passion? That's your religion. Two key questions to ask about whatever your religion is. Number one, are you deluded in your religion? In other words, thinking the right, wrong thing. Do you think your religion is, is doing you well and you're deluding yourself? James chapter 2. If you're in James chapter 2, across the page is James chapter 1. And remember there that he said, you know, we are to put aside, in verse 21, all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility. We are to receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But then he says, verse 22, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Delude themselves thinking, I'm doing right, I'm okay, and they're not. The word for delude means to reckon wrongly, to be deceived by false reasoning. A lot of people's religion that they are following religiously, passionately, uh, spending a lot of time with, they're deluded because they are reasoning wrong. If it's not based on God's word, which is what he has said, then they're deluded. We don't want to be deluded. We, we don't want to stand before our Creator and realize we've been barking up the wrong tree, climbing the wrong ladder, worshiping the wrong thing. So we don't want to be deluded. So you've got to ask the question, am I deluded in my religious beliefs and practices? Number two, is my religion worthless? And that's our title for today, Worthless Religion, question mark. It is what you do, is, is what you profess, is what you believe, is what you're giving yourself to, is it worthless? Verse 26 of chapter 1, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but, but, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Literally, the void of force, truth, success, results, useless, of no purpose. 
tragedy is, that is true of, of, I would almost say, the majority of people in the world who claim to be religious. Even some of those that profess God and say they're following Jesus Christ, we're going to see that for some of them, they're the way, you know, their religion is worthless and they are deluded. Now, the key question is, right, I hope you're asking, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm deluded in what I believe and what I'm doing? How do I know if all of that is worthless? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you have a Bible. And I'm glad you're looking at James chapter 2. Because James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, answer the question. This is fundamental. This is so very important. We will not get through today. I, you know, there's a lot here, and so uh, I kind of rearranged my thoughts. In, in we're going to go halfway today because I, I, I don't want to rush through this. But let's read it first of all. James chapter two, verses fourteen through twenty-six. What use is it, my brethren, if Someone says he has faith, but he has no works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? Even so faith... If it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. <clears throat> the demons also believe <clears throat> excuse me, and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith, without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he uh, was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab, the harlot, also justified by works. And uh, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Now, I do realize that there are a lot of there's a lot of questions that that brings up. Uh, for example, Martin Luther had a very difficult time with this passage because he understood what Paul said in Romans 4 is that we are saved, that Abraham was saved by faith, faith alone or whatever. So he, he, he didn't know what to do with James chapter 2. Some say this is a contradiction. It is not. So we will see that. All right? So what I want to do is go through this very important passage and have us note six key features. Six. We will do three today and three next week. Good Lord willing. First feature is, first of all, notice some questions 
that James asked. Question number one, verse 14. What use is it, my brother, and if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? In other words, he says he has a faith, but there is no evidence of his behavior, of his life, to support that claim. As somebody said, if you were accused of being a Christian and they brought you into court before the judge and before the jury and, and you, gave ev you were to give evidence of your life that you were a Christian, the question is, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Could they say that he does this or that and I've seen this change or whatever or this is who he is and this proves who he is? But what James is saying, suppose you have this great profession of faith in Christ or in God or in the church or whatever and you have nothing to back it up, no works. Can that faith save him? The answer is no. That's what he says. Faith without, you go through this. Faith without works is dead. Faith without, just as the body uh, is without the soul is dead. Last verse, verse 26. So faith without works is dead. No, that is not true faith. Now, I'll say this over and over, so I'll say it now just so we can get it. You do not, the Bible is very clear, you do not work to become saved. You work because you are saved. An apple does not produce apples to become an apple tree. It produces apples because it is an apple tree. It's the same thing with our faith. If there are no works, if there's no evidence to back it up, it's useless, <coughs> it's dead, it cannot save you. And let's face it, why, why, are, why would you en encompass any religion except for hope for something better? And hope that when this world ends and I stand before my creator, that, that I can go into a heaven and live with him forever as opposed to the alternative. But if I say I've got faith and there's no proof, there's nothing there to back it up, James says, does that faith save him? He, he, the answer is no. This is a crucial question. This, if there is no works to your faith, can that faith save you? That's a crucial question crucial question. Because you remember in Ephesians chapter 2 there, there are some interesting things. So let's take a, take a look at Ephesians 2. I mean some of you know this. It, it's the classic passage on our salvation. Verse 8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, so far so good. And that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Yeah, I got it. Not as a result of works. It's true. You do not work to become saved. It's a gift of faith. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn uh, favor with God. Nothing. So it's by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Because if we could earn it, we would be proud. And we'll see an example of that today. We would be proud and we'd be showing off. And look at how good I... No, nobody did anything. In fact, if you go to the beginning of chapter 2 of Ephesians, you find that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What can a dead person do to become undead? <coughs> That's a word, right? Nothing. 
You're dead. There's no response. There's no hope. It, it's over. You can't do anything. And that's how we were until God, rich in his mercy, sent his son to die for us. As you see in verse 4, God being rich in mercy, it's his great love with the, which he loved us, Christ. We are raised up together with Christ. Verse 5, and as, the whole, as we hear this story, and the Holy Spirit penetrates and convicts our heart, God literally pushes us or drags us, as it were, grabs you by the collar and says, come on, this is for you. Now, we do have to take that step. But we realize as I take that step, it's because God was drawing me. God was moving me. As Jesus said in John 6, 44, no one comes to the Father, comes to the Father no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And so as we are drawn, we're given this faith. It's, it, we don't work to get it. But look at verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, we don't work to become saved, but God saves us so we can work. And we can do his work. And we can glorify him. And he could use us. Every person, every actually every living creature has a purpose in God's plan. But certainly every Christian, every one of his children has a very unique role. That overlaps. I mean, if, if you're a person that shows mercy, a lot of people show mercy. But nobody like you. If you're a teacher, a lot of people teach. But nobody like you. I remember had that thought when we were in Modesto when I was interning at, at, a, at a large church. And I was talking to somebody. I think, actually, I think we were helping somebody move. And uh, he was a teacher as well. And we were talking about something. And, and, and I made the comment, you know, have you ever wondered why do we bother? You know, there, there's all these great preachers around. You know, down south, you had John MacArthur, you had Charles Swindoll, you had Dave Hawking for a while, you had all the, oh, whoever it is, right? You've all known, you had Charles Stanley, you had Chris Wall in, in Texas, and, in, and you had Spurgeon, you got D.L. Moody, it goes on and on. And, and I, I, in our, the pastor we were, I was working under was, was really good. And so I remember, I think we were, we were in the car, and I said, hey, do you ever wonder why do we bother? We're so are they. We can, we're never going to be able to do what they do. And, and it's like God spoke to me, even though I didn't hear a voice. It was nothing like that. But it was like, oh, but wait a minute. Nobody's going to do it the way we do. And that's the truth. So whatever God's purpose for you is, it, it, other people can do it, but you're very unique. And you're so unique that God, before the preparation of the world, prepared beforehand, verse 10. In other words, before, before he did anything, he had this plan for you, and he put you where you are in this space and time to do what he wants you to do. But you see, it's a work. He doesn't want you just to say, I believe, I believe, and sit on the couch and watch football the rest of your life. I guess you could do that. But, but you know, that's not the plan. He wants you to do the work that he called you to do. So this whole idea of faith and works going together is absolutely essential. And faith is essential. We know that. Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. 
And you say, well, okay, I'm beginning to get it, I think. What, what in the world is faith? Well, that's why we started our service with Hebrews chapter 11. Right? By faith. And the faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For example, and by it men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. I mean, how do we know God created the heavens and the earth? I wasn't there, and neither were you. But we've read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we believe it. We believe it. We've got the entire Bible. This is God's revelation of himself to us. And I've said many times, and it's true from time to time, I will tell God as I'm praying or reading, I says, Lord, today I'm not really feeling it. I mean, I just read this, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I wish I was more excited about it. And there's many reasons why you or I may not be. But I've always said, God, regardless of what I feel about this or where I am today, I believe it. I know this is true. And on that, we, we rest everything. That's our faith. And it's so important because the verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we understand that. Yes, yeah, so I got that. But he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. But as he, what he's talking about is the right faith. We're not talking about a faith that has no works. Because James just said in James chapter 2, can that faith save him? And the rest of the passage says no. So we need to have the right faith that works. You say, really? Is, is, are you sure that is the way it is? Yes, I am. And to show you that, let's look at the words of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 25. This is crucial. Otherwise, if you perhaps, people that think, all that I got to do is believe, I don't have to change anything, you, for one, what are you going to do with all Jesus saying, repent, repent, repent? Uh, and there are those that believe all that you got to do is believe. And that's it. You don't, there never has to be a change. Nothing ever has to happen. You will never have it. You don't need any works. You don't need any fruit. It's the same thing. Uh, all you got to do is believe. As the Bible says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him. You know, it's talking about works in John 3, 16. Well, yes and no. Not specifically, but as you read the entire passage of Scripture, absolutely. For example, listen to Jesus in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, this is hours before he goes to the cross. This is, uh, well, actually, no. And Matthew 25 is uh, uh, the last week or so of his life before he goes to the cross. And so he's... He's giving them, in chapter 24, is the great Olivet Discourse. So this is all in that last week. When he gets to chapter 25, verse 31, he talks about his coming back, which is what we're waiting for. He says, verse Matthew 25, 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all his angels with him, and he sits on his glorious throne, you want to read about that? Revelation chapter 19 and 20. 
So when he comes back, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So we know that in Revel the book of Revelation, for the majority of it, what's coming upon this world is a seven-year period where God is judging this world, and it's horrific. Remember, uh, we the Christians are gone, the Holy Spirit has been left, uh, comes back, obviously, in, in the lives of people that are saved, but, but Satan's having his well, his way, the Antichrist is in charge, and it's, it's just horrific. Plus, God is destroying the planet because he's judging it. You know, and we, when we went through Revelation, there's a third of this is, is, bur is burned up, and a third of the, these people die, and so there's not too many people left. But when he comes back, there will be living human beings. And so as he sets up his kingdom to rule and to reign literally on this earth, he needs to decide, well, who comes into the kingdom and who doesn't? Who are the saved and who are the unsaved? Whose faith was genuine and whose faith was deluded and worthless? All right? And so Jesus uses the illustration of a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. If this shepherd has sheep, he's shepherding the sheep not the goats. So he's got to separate them. So how does he do that? Verse 34, then, well, he puts the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So here, picture a throne, and on the right side, there are the sheep. Guess your right side. Right side would be the sheep. Left side would be the goats. Watch what he says. Then the king will say, verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, these are the sheep, come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And after what you've just been through, yippee! Man, this is great! I get to come in now and be in favor with the king. I need to come in and inherit this kingdom which was prepared for me. You notice that? Prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. This has been the plan all along. And now, here we are. Then he tells them why. Verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And so the righteous are sitting there, are standing there, Hey, man, this is awesome. We're going into the kingdom, but... Well, then they say, they say, well, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we do this? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? They say, hey, this is awesome. <clears throat> You're telling me I did, but I don't remember doing that to you. I, we've never seen you before. How could we have done that to you? Watch what he says. The king will answer, verse 40, and say to them, Truly I say to you. Truly I say to you. When the king says that, or anything the king says, but truly, hey, get this. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. He said, they said, when did we do this to you? 
And he says, look it, to the extent that you did this to your fellow believers, to the extent that you saw a, a Christian who was uh, hungry, you gave him something to eat, whatever you could. I mean, you may not be able to give him a, a filet mignon meal, but, you know, I, my, the thing I remember is every once in a while God will convict you and, and move you and I had taken a road trip one day just to get out of town, and I'm coming back, and I'm buying gas, and I go to pay, and there's a poor guy that obviously was destitute, and I came out, and I, I just said, and I don't do this often, but I said, hey, would you like something to eat? I'm going next door to Taco Bell, and I will get you what I get. I was just going to get a burrito. That's all I was going to get. I didn't change my plan. I just said, I'm getting a burrito. What, what, what kind do you want or whatever? And he said, whatever. And so I just got two of what I ordered and brought it back. He said, Jesus is saying, I don't know if that guy was a believer or not, but Jesus says, when you, when you did that to him, you did it to me. Now, let me ask you, what did I just do? It's a work, right? I did something. Same thing with, and then it goes on. You were thirsty, gave him a drink, and hungry, you fed, you fed him, they needed clothes, they needed whatever they did. Jesus says, to the least you did it, to one of these you did it to me. Wow. Wow. I mean, I, I don't think we think about this enough. Remember when Paul, Saul, was killing Christians? Talk about a religious man. Read Philippians 3. Paul was the height of his religion and he was passionate and he believed it, he put his life into it and he was deluded and it was worthless. He says that in Philippians 3. And remember that what he thought he needed to do to protect his religion was to kill Christians because he thought Christ was a heretic. So he's on Acts 9, so he's on the road to Damascus to persecute, to arrest and even kill some Christians. And remember Jesus appears to him on the Damascus road, knocks him off of his animal, the donkey, and, and, he, and it blinded him. <clears throat> and the voice out of heaven said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember Saul? He said, what? Who are you, Lord? In the sense of master, obviously a voice, some supernatural thing. Remember Jesus said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And I think when Paul began, I think Paul caught on pretty quickly. He, he, he realized, I'm persecuting the church. And Jesus says, I'm hurting him. Here Jesus is saying, you fed my children. And you fed and clothed me. Now they got in because of their faith in Christ. And their works proved. Well, what about the goats? Well, then he will say to those, verse, back to Matthew 5, 25, verse 41, he say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's not what you want to hear. <clears throat> and then notice what he says again. Because I, I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they themselves, oh, wait a minute, Your Honor, objection, objection. When did we ever see you and not do that to you? And he says the same thing. He says, verse 45, to the extent 
Truly I say to you that you did not do it to one of these, the least of, one of these least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He says, your life and your works prove whether you had true faith or not. You said you had faith, but you never proved. So it's worthless. Doesn't save. Doesn't save. Back to James chapter 2. So you see how important this is? Wow. Second question. Second question. Verse 15 of James 2. If a brother or sister is without food, I'm sorry, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? And the answer is nothing. Profess to be a Christian. Now, it doesn't mean sometimes we can't help, right? Sometimes people, let's say people need a car. I don't have a car to give them. I don't have the money to buy a car. So you do what you can. That's the point. You just do what you can. But if you don't do anything, you don't even pray for them. You don't even try to point them in the right direction. He says, what use is that? The answer is nothing. So those are the questions. Now, second feature, he makes a statement. Based on those two verses, he says in verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead. Being by itself. True saving faith will and must have supporting works to back it up. Third feature, an argument. Of course, there's got to be an argument. Verse 18, well, someone may well say, right? You have work, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fail fellow, that faith without works is useless? There it is, useless. You say you have faith, you say believe in God, but there's nothing to back it up. It's useless. Tragically, find, well, not tragically, that didn't come out right. Find Matthew chapter 3, and let's look at the classic, tragic illustration of that. A people that said they believed in God, and, and, they didn't, and that quote-unquote faith was useless, because they didn't back it up by living for God. And those are the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day, which were his religious leaders. These were the pastors. These were the teachers. These were the examples. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is... Uh, Preaching, He's the forerunner. And since we're running short on time, I won't, you can read Matthew 3. The point is, he's the forerunner. He's baptizing people to get ready for Jesus, and he's preaching, and God's working, and all these people are coming to him. 
In fact, verse 5 says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And then, verse 7, he saw many of the scribes and Pharisees and scribes coming for baptism also. And he said to them, you would think, he said, oh, great, the religious leaders are coming. Finally, you guys are getting on board. No, he says, you brood of vipers. <clears throat> Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He knew them. Turn the page to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. This is, I think, the important verse for the entire sermon. Matthew 5, verse 20. I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses... <clears throat> so we could put it this way. Unless your faith surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Go to chapter 7. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit but the bad tree bears bad fruit. And there it is again. In other words, and you can, you can write this in this way because <coughs> the Bible's <coughs> excuse me, consistent True faith will bear fruit, good fruit. Hollow faith, useless faith will not. So you'll know them by their fruits. That's how you know, by the evidence. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Stand before the creator. He said, hey, I, let me in. I believe in you. I believed in you my entire life. I believe God. It's not everybody that's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, well, Lord, didn't we believe in you? Hey, hey and didn't we, look, look at this, didn't we even have some fruit? Didn't we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? That can be very confusing and commentators differ on, did they actually do that? It was by Satan's power. But just look at the next verse. It explains it. They claim to, to, have, to have done this because people that have a strong faith that it's not a true faith, they're still going to be busy, right? I mean, they're going to do all kinds of things like these guys. But listen to what Jesus says. Then I will declare to them, those who thought they were getting in because they believed in me, they, they thought they had all this stuff that they were producing to prove it. Depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, my goodness. Here's the key. You who practice lawlessness. You know what the fruit of your life was? Sin and unrighteousness. Not following me. You didn't follow my directions. You, you did your own thing. This is exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees did. So go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 1. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? Now this was not sanitary, this was not anything in the law, but the scribes and the Pharisees, because they couldn't keep the law of God, they, they, they you know, I think to a degree they, they wanted God, they wanted to please him, but they did it their way. 
We talked about that on Wednesday. I wish you were there when we talked about Cain and Abel. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Because Abel followed directions and Cain did not. Cain decided, I'm going to do this my own way. Never works. And that's what they were doing. They, they realized, you know, I, I know the law says thou shalt not uh, kill, but I can't control my anger. But as long as I don't literally kill somebody, I'm okay. And back to Matthew 5, Jesus says, no, you're not. Because if you hate somebody in your heart, in a sense, you're guilty of murder, even though you haven't done it. The real illustration is adultery. They, you, you have heard that they have said, you shall not commit adultery. They, they realized they couldn't control their lust. And so as long as I don't actually commit the act of adultery, I'm okay and I'm righteous. And Jesus says, no, you're not. For I tell you, that he who looks at a woman with the intent to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. So see, they were always adjusting things so they could do it. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Why are your disciples not following our rules? And he answered, Jesus answers verse 3, and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? Whoa. Remember, <clears throat> he's talking to his religious leaders. But remember, too, he's God, and he's perfect. He's the king, he's the high priest, so he had every right to do that. And he's the Messiah. For God had said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, well, whatever, uh, but, but you, say whatever, you say this to your father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. In other words, he's talking financially. You are to help take care of your parents financially. And they were saying, well, look, at, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. But, but they said, look, at, mom and dad, we're sorry. You know, what, what, what have gone to you? We have given to God as an offering. Which really meant they gave it to themselves because they were in charge of all of that. Jesus says to them, verse 7, they thought that was actually pretty good. Jesus says, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Oh, yeah, you say you've got a lot of faith, but you have arranged it your way. And, you don't, and Jesus says you're practicing unrighteousness. John chapter 8, again, very, very clear. Watch this one, and then we'll wrap this up. I want to give you something to, to take home besides this, all right? <clears throat> Scribes and the Pharisees are again in force. Often John, you know, we, we know that, verse 13, he's talking to the Pharisees. Uh, and so this discussion goes on and on. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they say, we've never been slaves. We are sons of Abraham. Jesus so they answered and said to him, this is verse 39, John 8, 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, look, and if Abraham's your father, if you are Abraham's children, do, watch it, the deeds of Abraham. Not just what you're saying, not just what you're believing, not just whatever you have faith in. He says, no, you do the works of Abraham. You do the deeds of Abraham. <clears throat> But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. That's, what, that's your fruit. That's your work. You're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, <clears throat> this Abraham, 
excuse me, did not do. You are the doing the deeds of your father. So they come back to him and say, we are not born of fornication, accusing him of being born of fornication. We have one father, God. Did they believe, quote unquote, God is one? Yeah. James told us in James chapter 2, well, they, that's great, but you know, the demons believe in shudders. Satan believes in shudders. Jesus said to him, If God was your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and come from God. I have not come by my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do, you, uh, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Oh, see? My goodness. You want to do the desires of your father, of your father? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. See? <clears throat> There's only two religions in the world. God's in Christ and Satan's. And if you don't go God's way, you're deluded and worthless because Satan is a liar and the father of lies and a murderer. He wants you in hell with him. And so it's all about proof. Fruit. It has got to be fruit in your life. The, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they, they had fruit, but it was they're trying to kill him. So James says, hey, yeah, you, you say you believe, prove it. Basically. You say you believe, prove it. If you have no faith, if you say you have faith and no works, it's dead. It's useless. Useless. And if you're counting on your belief alone, without any change of your life to get you to heaven, you're deluded and it's worthless, and he will say to you tragically, depart from me, I never knew you. Your fruit is wrong. Okay, we don't want to end there, do we? Abraham's the next example, but we don't have time, unless you want to just stick around for another hour. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't, I didn't think so. So let's go, at least you're honest, let's go to John chapter 15. We're going to close here. We're going to close here. As I was going over this, I said, see, I've already gone longer than I thought I was. It's, it's, uh, this is so important. And we've looked at this at the end of last year. And what I want you to see how consistent the scripture is, and you'll really see this next week, but today, Jesus, it was John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He's using an analogy and illustration. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Now, as we go through here, you can substitute every branch in me that does not have works. All right? That does not have works to, to, to uh, prove their faith. It's the same thing. When he talks about fruit, He's talking the same thing James says. You've got to have faith to rather works to back up your faith. If you have faith, there will be works. Because God is working in you to produce that, right? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I may have left one out. But is that not a change in you? From the deeds of the flesh, which is two verses up, it talks about hatred and adultery or, or sensuality, sexual sin, all that other stuff. And then you flip the coin and you say, did I do that? No. 
Well, yes and no. You, you participated, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Fruit. What is it? It's a work that, that you can demonstrate. Yes, I may not have perfect love, perfect peace, all of that, but yeah, you know, I do. That's a miracle. Jesus says, John 15, I'm the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that professes to be in me and does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, in other words, he looks at you and says, yeah, I can see you're working. Good. He prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word I spoke to you says, abide in me and I in you. Verse 4, for as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you <coughs> unless you abide in me. See, the whole issue to this is being in Christ and having Christ in you. And that happens just through simple faith. Remember, you think of Revelation 3.20. It's a classic verse. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I'll come into them and sup with them and he with me. So it's clear the Bible says when you come to Christ, when you accept him as your Savior, when you believe he is the Son of God, you believe that you're a worthless sinner in that sense and that you're bound for hell. You can't change that. But God sent Jesus to go to the cross to pay for all of your sin, past, present, and future, so that if you place your faith in him as he rose from the dead, <clears throat> he'll come into you, he'll save you, will transform you, and you'll start producing this. And, I, and, and, we're, and God's not done with this until we're in heaven. And so he's going to work on us so that we can do more works, more fruit. You say, well, how, how, how do I do that? How, how do I cooperate with God in this process? Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. The scripture, it always comes back to us being in this book. Psalm 1, who's the man who is blessed by him, but him who meditates in his word day and night. This is a supernatural book. Because God wrote it. Think in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And in piercing between the, the joints and marrow, it gets right down to you, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You read this book and you go, oh yeah, oh my goodness, Lord, that's me, help. Oh God, I want, and that should be what's going on all over. And the more you do that, the more God gets of you and you start getting rid of stuff. But that's, you gotta, we're talking about works and fruit. So you go to verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me, in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, really, the bearing fruit part is just all about abiding, abiding <coughs> being in the word, and asking God to help you do what he tells you to do. And then taking that step of faith with the Holy Spirit, saying, Lord, I don't feel like telling the truth. But you've told me to tell the truth. So when I'm pulled over and the guy says, how fast were you going? I'll tell him the last time I looked at my speedometer. Instead of, oh, I don't know. <laughs> when you know. I don't want to do that, but Lord, help me do that. You know, you take one step and the Spirit helps you do that. Because he's producing the fruit in you. I know I, know I said that was the last one, but I'll, don't look this one up. Let me just read it for you. First John, rather, 1 Peter 4. Listen to this. 
As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so by the by the one who is serving by who serves to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things Christ God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory dominion and forever ever. What is that fruit? What is that works that prove your faith? So Father, I, it, I, I hope that was somewhat clear. I think the scripture is amazingly precise and amazingly clear as it presents this. That James is point blank. If you do not have works to back up your faith, it is useless. It is pointless. And Father, we don't want, and you don't want people to be deluded. To think I can come to God, I can believe in God, and I don't have to follow directions. I don't have to repent. That's the delusion. Basically, that's the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're damned. That's what Jesus said. But Father, in simple faith, as you speak to our hearts. And I've told you this many times. I don't get this. I don't get a lot of this. I don't even get you, Lord. I don't know how, how can you have never begun? And how will you never end? And how can you be every place at once? And how can you know everything at once? I don't know. But I believe you. And I'm taking a step of faith. And it's not a leap of faith, because <clears throat> I'm dependent on you. I'm doing this with you, and because of what you've done for me. That's true religion. It's faith in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Are committing our life to him, and asking and trusting him to live that through us we live our lives. So as we come to our last song, think about it. Is my religion, am I being deluded in my view of whatever Christianity is? Is it worthless? Or I may not be perfect, and I may not have a lot of works, but I got something. And Lord, I want more. I want more. Take that step of faith with Think about those things and then we'll close.
Father, we realize it's not a leap of faith, it's a step of faith. It's a life of faith. Through your power, your Holy Spirit, that produces works through your spirit for your glory and for your honor. I pray that's true of every one of us. And I pray that your spirit would help us take that inventory to ask, is it? And then we just pray that you will continue to work. We thank you, Lord, that this is the true religion. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.